This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by The Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. Look, this will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I actually liked. I'd find a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass, or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's finally done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for without sacrifice. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than a 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything you need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want every day they want it. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You're in. Settle with me, Bram, no Marcus today, but joining me per usual, my master of all things video and sound, Maxime. How's it going? Maxime, I'm fired up to tell you that we do have a guest today. Jason Dumas is going to be joining us kind of as we go. He'll catch up to a speeding train. But before we do that, I figure we spend a little bit of time, I don't know, create a safe space, get some of this Laker angst out of our fucking system, and then start looking towards next season, man. Um, let me start here. How are you? Where are you on your stages of grief? I, I literally looked these up. So the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Where are you on your, uh, your grief journey? Man, is it possible to be in the middle three all at the same time? <laughs> like I'm depressed. I'm also already thinking about trades and how to, you know, run it back for next season. And I'm also pretty angry. I do not like, I, you know, listen, I'm obsessed with basketball, so I'm going to watch each of these um, conference finals games, but I am so angry with the Lakers. I don't want to, I don't want to watch that series. I just want They're Denver to beat them 4-0 and move on. If I had a button that could cancel the rest of the NBA playoffs, I would hit it a thousand times right now. I'd, I'd regret it. You know, like I love NBA playoff, but like, man, was I frustrated at this play down. And I think there must be like a mistake, like Google must fuck up because I think there's actually six stages of grief because I'm in the fuck LA forever stage. Um, and so I don't know where that fits into these five, but that's just firmly where I plant. Uh, I've got a ton of forward-looking questions, things that will deal with an offseason that is crazy important. But like I said, dude, we got to get some of this stuff out. So one glass half full before the golden questions. Look back at that Lakers series. Give me something you don't or you do. And again, safe space. You know, we can, we can be honest with our frustrations. And I'll start us off. Here's what I don't like. I don't like that this team all year told us that they were not a title contender and I refused to listen. I, I was deluded myself the entire way. We started the, the first podcast we did with the postseason. I dropped that quote of if somebody tells you who they are, listen. I didn't follow that advice. I didn't. Throughout the year, all these stupid little things that ultimately doomed them in the playoffs happened. They showed us over and over again. Turnovers, thin rotation, young guys weren't ready. Even the weird free throw misses. You know, we were seeing that from Steph and JP the whole year. And the fact that I could look at that and then decide, nope, they're winning the title. I don't like that. You know, that's on me. Um, I don't like watching entitled ass LeBron walk around. 
So like, look, dude, I've come to like they I heard Kerr say they maximized the talent on this roster. It wasn't a championship team. I agree. They're not going to win every time. They didn't win a title this year. It's OK. You know, we, we can come to terms with that. But losing to that Laker team really bothered me. And I forgot how much I hated watching LeBron win a series. Just the way he carries himself and the way that he's constantly working those fucking refs. And the thing that I don't like the most about that. I read a little bullet today that said that the last dance people are for the, the same people who filmed that documentary are following LeBron around this postseason and filming it. And the idea that we could have beat him on that last dance documentary would have been so satisfying so that he got a win over Curry during what's probably going to become a national documentary. I don't like Maxime. I'm fuck LA forever. Just like I said, I, <sighs> Fuck, I didn't know about that. This is, I don't know, man. We're going to need to move forward pretty quickly here because that did not put me in a great place. <laughs> uh, shit, I didn't I didn't specifically, I, I, I was listening to a podcast today, I can't remember which one, but they were debating whether or not Steph Curry was more like LeBron James or more like Chris Paul. And the fact that the narrative has already switched from, I mean, this time last year, we were hearing, oh, it's over. The 2010s were Steph Curry's decade. To now that, you know, this is the ad nauseum. We're never going to hear it again. The I mean, Denver better beat the Lakers. My goodness. And if they don't, the Lakers better lose in a championship game because I do not want this five to four ring situation um, coming who, who to pass. Wrote that oh, take, Chris Paul? How the, who the hell is contributing to any idea that Steph is like Chris Paul? Chris Paul hasn't won shit. Let's settle down on that. Uh, yeah, no, closer to Chris Paul. And and actually, in the commentators, it was a question that was written in, and, and the response was, no, he's definitely closer to LeBron. But the fact is that now we're back in this narrative of who's better when, come on, he beat him in one series. This is ridiculous. Steph is still better. Um, I didn't like seeing Klay uh, Thompson continue to take just ill-advised mid-range shots and three-point shots that did not inspire confidence. I, Like you said, I thought what we were going to see was um, a bunch of 16-game players play 16-game type games. And instead, what we saw is a continuation of the exact same shit that we saw as problematic through the regular season. And to me, I mean, there's so many things. We can talk about Jordan Poole. Uh, we could talk about not seeing Kaminga. Uh, but to me, it was encapsulated in watching somebody that I love, maybe my favorite player, Clay Thompson, continued to to take baffling shots uh, in a, in a really, really sad ending to this uh, to this run. Be fucking inconsistent too with Clay, right? I mean, he's a guy we we think is aloof, never gets in his head, just you know, never takes anything too seriously. And watch him to very clearly be in his head in that LA series was like you know watching Michael Phelps be afraid of the water. It just that those two things did not make any sense. All right, things I like, things I like, dude. Okay. Things I like, number one, the team knows they have to change things. I honestly believe they lost this year when they won last year. You know, they, they when they won that title last year, it underlined this notion that they could go after two titles at the same time, the two title window thing, which is bullshit. Last year, that you know, the young guys didn't actually have to contribute. So this year, now that they've come up short in a pretty frustrating way, there's none of that bullshit anymore. You're already hearing from Kerr that losing helps uh, put the mirror up to you. So they know they need to make improvements. They know that that, that two timeline process didn't work and we can expect them to make real moves to fix those problems. Yeah. Um, I'll give you something else I don't like or sorry, do like. Honestly, somewhere in between. I'm not sure. Just a random thing. 
So I watched those last two games in LA. I went to Disneyland with the family. I mentioned it to you guys. And watching playoffs in enemy territory, even if it's the happiest fucking place on earth, is a very weird thing. It's about as close to uh, gang warfare as I ever want to get. I don't know, like I wasn't fighting with anybody, but like I wore nonstop Warriors gear. And in fact, I only brought Warriors shirts. So the day after they lost, I'm wearing both Jeez. a hat and a shirt, like too much, already too much. And I get within 50 yards of a Laker fan is, you know, you can tell by the colors. We never said anything, but the second we were in each other's like peripheral vision, you kind of tense up and you like, you kind of hate them immediately. So it entertained me. It bothered me. I don't know, like, don't like, but watching it in enemy territory uh, was one of those things. Here's my last question looking only at the Lakers series. If you could go back in time and you could select it, would you have preferred they lost that game seven against Sacramento? You know, and we never had this, never had to watch LeBron walk around. Or are you happy they got out of the first round and lost to uh, AD and the Lakers? No, no, no. I, I much prefer it this way. I, I think there's something about all of the narratives that were, listen, I think people expected the Warriors to win, but nobody is out of their mind surprised that the Lakers won. Whereas everybody was saying, oh my gosh, this is the most favor favorable matchup, right? Sacramento Kings fans haven't won anything. This is their first playoff series in, a, in two decades. If we'd lost in game seven, that would have been a dynasty killing type of a situation where you start having to really look at yourself in the mirror. Here, it's LeBron James, right? One of the greatest of all time. Sure, he took us down. Anthony Davis had four good games enough to get um get them over the hump. No, I think this is a much more respectable exit than it would have been had we lost game seven. But what about you? Depends on when you ask me, you know, like when we got our ass kicked game one, I probably would have hit that go back in time and lose to game seven. But looking now, the the mortality portion of it, right? Like Malik Monk calling us old and us playing them against a younger team against Sacramento, that loss would have been uglier for me. Yeah. And so to kind of cement who the Warriors are over Sacramento and then still taking the loss, yeah, I'd, I'd take that even as frustrating as it was. All right. Golden questions, uh, as you know, man, is our mailbag. Uh, this one both deals with the Warriors and gets a little bit personal. And here's our first quote. The Myers news has gone from no news is weird news to genuinely concerning. How important is re-signing Bob? And do you think he'll come back? So kind of a two-part question here. Um, I'll take the first part first. How important is re-signing Bob? Let me phrase it this way. I think the Warriors have a real fucking important offseason. I think it's one of the most important offseasons they've faced. And the maybe biggest thing for me is whether or not Dre and Clay, when extending their contracts, if they extend their contracts, is willing to take a pay cut. And that's not going to be an easy thing. That's a hard conversation built mostly on relationships and respect. If I had the world's population to pick from, I mean, I had a machine that let me, however many billion of people are in the world, I could use this machine and it let me pick anyone I wanted to go talk to Dre and Clay and cut their contract back. You know who I take? Bob Myers in a heartbeat. There's nobody else I'm thinking of. And so to lose him, the one person in a, you know, the population of the earth who can help pilot us through that in particular situation, is that an important loss? Yes. A very important loss so i i really hope he stays now will he so i'm not going to give you the names but i shot out texts to a lot of our guests just to see what they thought the text was this if you had to guess do you think myers will resign here's the answers i got quote 50 50 eileen no quote 
no idea. Seems like either way. Quote, I don't know, but it's starting to feel like he's gone. And then finally, no clue. So these are people who cover the team in some instances. I mean, we've, we've got some, some people who sh- kind of know what they're talking about here. Uh, and they, they might be a little hedging towards negative, but they don't know, you know? Um, so it's really just a guess before I give mine, let me turn it to you. How important is it to sign him? And what's your guess? Man, I, uh, it's extremely important to re-sign him. You, you, you just laid out all the exact reasons. We're in a situation right now where we know that Clay Thompson wants a big payday and we know that Clay Thompson probably should not get a big payday even though I want, and I want him to stay on this team, not even though, right? And these are very, very fraught, difficult tensions that, that, uh, that need to be discussed. And, right, it's Bob Myers or the field. I don't, even, I don't even care. You could get Barack Obama in there, right? And an, an amazing negotiator who I know everybody likes. Bob Myers has history with these guys. They trust each other. So there is literally nobody else that I would rather have in the room. But do I think that he gets resigned? No, I really don't. You know, one of the things I saw, um, friend of the podcast, Connor Letourneau, had an article in the Chronicle uh, today or yesterday um, breaking down the Myers contract. And, you know, one of the things that we learned recently uh, is that actually Lacob has offered him significant money and multiple times throughout the year. And the reason that Bob Myers hasn't taken it is because he's thinking about maybe wanting to make up for lost time with his family. That's, you know, those are laying out. This is a very smart man who constantly lays out breadcrumbs as part of his job in the GM world. Laying out breadcrumbs, right? Getting us prepared for a very, very legitimate reason, right? This is not Bob Myers wants to go sign somewhere else, which was my fear the whole time. This was Bob Myers is maybe done being a general manager, at least for the time being. And so, you know, it's not about him wanting to go take on a more cushy, lucrative job. There is none. This is an amazing place to be. We still have Steph Curry. There's absolutely reason to believe that we could run it back, especially when John Morant is flashing guns and Zion Williamson continues to not be present for games. The window is still open in the West. Um, And yet I think Bob Myers justifiably, right, is is done with the grind of this and is ready to move on. Connor also appeared on the Murph and Mac show on 680, which incidentally pissed me off. What the fuck, dude? He hasn't been on this show forever since the whole no credential thing. Connor, if you're listening, come the fuck back on, dude. Murph and Mac don't have the relationship with you that we do. But in that interview, he basically uh, expanded on what you just said. And one of the things he dropped was all of us have been within our career where you're just looking for a new challenge. Not that you don't like it, not that you don't like the coworkers, not that you're done with the profession, just that you kind of need a new step. And that combined with the fact that he might want uh, to spend more time with the family makes this thing pretty onerous, which leads to my guess. My guess is he's gone. And the fact that it's gone this long, you know, like we're not talking the beginning of the postseason anymore. This isn't the all-star break. You know, we are about a month from the draft. I mean, we're on top of this and that there's any uncertainty now really hedges towards he's gonzo. Um, in my mind, uh, MT catch up to a speeding train. What do you think, dude? Is, is Myers going to come back? Um, I'd like to be optimistic and think so. I think the silver lining of losing to the Lakers, um, and the Lakers of all teams, but losing to the Lakers in the second round, um, is that there's unfinished business. And if, Draymond and Clay come back, and it sounds like they both are. Um, then I think Myers has a reason to um, to stay to continue to work with Steve Kerr, um, who should be back as well. And I think just ride out um, this 
this team and this dynasty out to see if they can get one more ring. So um, I think it's tired. It's exhausting doing what he does. The GM is one of the hardest jobs in the league. But um, I think now that he's had a longer off season, I think these next few weeks will be critical in him feeling like he can do a better job balancing it. And he'll probably work something out with Lake up in the team to where he doesn't have to be as on they'll give some of the responsibility to Dunleavy um, and uh, he'll be back. But that's wishful thinking. <laughs> I was trying to avoid using the phrase Dunleavy. So look, dude, I'm sure he's really good in the front office. I don't know. Like, I do not know anything about Mike D's skills as an exec. And I trust this team and this front office to pick the person who needs to take over. But one of the things that makes me crazy, really? Mike fucking Dunleavy is the guy who would take over? We've got a <laughs> nasty relationship with him, you know, in this uh, in this market. But I'm, I'm focusing on the wrong portion to build on your optimism, MT. I think the, the best approach, if we could get Steph to call him, and, you know, off record, we're not going public in any way. And he tells him, you know, I don't know how many more runs I got. One, two, you know, I really don't. But I'd like to do it with you. I don't want you to sign for 10 years. I don't want you to sign for five years. Shit, give me one year, but let's do this one more time. I think that's the best approach. And I hope how it's, uh, how it's handled. But you've given me a great transition to our second question, MT. So we're in the golden questions. Here's the next quote. I can't decide if I should be holding a dynastic funeral or just looking forward to next season. Is it over? All right, so I'm reading that as two different questions. Can we expect the big three back? And do we expect them to contend for a title next year? Because if you look out there, people are kind of, some people are, all right, you know, it's great to have a player come alive. Too bad it's done forever. And then there's a maybe even larger crowd that's expecting them to retool and be um, even more aggressive. And, and right back there. So before I get your guys' answers, play the quote from Draymond on this, Maxime, if we've got it. I was talking to Clay um, as we were sitting at the table last night, Ty, Clay, Steph, and myself, just like how important and big of a summer this is, like how locked in we need to be. No, I don't think this is it. I'll say it right here for you. This isn't it. We plan on doing this thing again. That's the plan. Obviously, this is a business and things has to take place. I get that. But we plan on doing this again. And the first thing he said, he said, hell yeah. I still want to be an all-star again. I still want to win more. Like, I want to do all of these things again. And like, that was great. Number one, to just be able to sit there and have that conversation. Like, you always talk about like bands breaking up and like this thing get too big and that thing get too big. And like, to still have those conversations 11 years later, that's why we win. And that's why we will win again. Love the confidence. A few things stick out. Here's the first. What the hell was Ty Jerome doing in that conversation? I like, I, I like Ty Jerome. And like, I can associate if I was him and they start having this conversation around me, you know, and they're like, oh, like, are we going to rent it back? And then they turn to me, Ty Jerome, like, Ty, would you like to be a part of it? I'd have to try so hard to like not overreact, you know, like, uh, oh, probably like try to have some hedging to pretend I really was a part of the core. So good for you, Ty Jerome. I mean, Th this season started with me saying I thought he was a second baseman. Now he's having fucking foundational conversations with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. So <laughs> things went well for Ty, um, but I'm bearing the lead. So we heard Draymond. Sounds like he not only expects the big three to be bad, expects him to continue to, to contend. Um, MT, keep the mic. What do you think, man? You think they'll be back? And are they still title contenders? It's apparently the big three and a half now with, with Ty in the mix. <laughs> he's calling shots like that. Gee, so man. good. <laughs> that's amazing um yeah good job ty um i do think they're back i, I think draymond's 
you know, call out. He always hedges it and says, you know, or puts a qualifier in and says this is a business. And I think we would be wise to remember that. But, um, you know, he, he knows how it is and he knows about the conversations and him saying he wants to ride out with the same dudes he rode in with, to me, is a telling statement of, you know, like everybody's burnt out. Like, um, you know, like Jeffrey was saying in the comments here, I agree. I think Bob Myers is burned out. Lakeup is putting a lot of heat on people, you know, like we just look like a tired team. I don't think we get any younger, obviously, um, but we retool and we come back and we bridge that timeline a little bit better. Um, would have been nice to give Kaminga a little more experience in the playoffs um, outside of Moses Moody, but I do think they run it back. I think Draymond, Clay, and Steph all retire as Warriors, and I'm hoping Bob does as well. Mm -hmm. Love that you said that we got to give JK a little bit more experience. I got more experience in these playoffs than fucking Kaminga did. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind if he got a little bit more experience. Um, do I think they're going to contend for a title next year? I sure do. But what it makes me think of, you guys remember a few years back when Katie was on the team and Kerr was quoted as saying, this isn't real life. You know, this, this version of NBA basketball, this isn't how it normally is. And I think they will contend, but I think they'll contend in, quote, real life. Then they'll be one of, you know, five, six teams that have a shot and that they're not going to be guaranteed anything. And then it's going to be angsty and hard and challenging, you know, but that's what it means to have a title contender, not a title dynasty, you know. And so that's where I think they will be. But much more importantly, rejoining us after way too long, the sports director. For Cron 4, a host on 95.7 The Games Airways, a former member of ESPN, a sports anchor with experience in North Dakota, Louisiana, Maryland, and a guy who just personally attended what I felt like was an incredibly important Steve Kerr presser, Mr. Jason Dumas. What's going on, Jay? What's up, man? How's everybody? Okay. I think you know how we are, dude. Yeah, I'm not that well. I just watched my fucking <laughs> favorite team lose to my least favorite team. So I'm not doing super good. And I don't think Marcus is either. I think he was just being nice and uh, polite. So it is what it is. But, Jay, the Kerr presser. So what were your walkaways, man? Like, how how are you feeling after hearing that? Um, and if if it bleeds in at all, the question we were just asking is, do you expect them to look substantially similar next year? I mean, softball. What what were your takeaways? Uh, it looks like they're running it back, really, um, which isn't a super surprise to me. Um, just from everything I'd been hearing behind the scenes and all the tea leaves, I figured Draymond would be back. Um, I thought, you know, people are saying he's in L.A. So it, I, that was always overstated. Draymond wants to come back. The team knows his value. I think he'll opt out of that contract and then re-sign one that's uh, kind of on, on par with Steph Curry's deal in terms of the length. Uh, I know that's probably what he'll look to. Um I'll have more on that later. I just kind of got to piece together some things. But I think Dre wants to kind of – not money-wise, but just contract length-wise, be lined up with Steph. That's that's kind of his goal and what he'll aim to do. So whenever Steph's a free agent, he'll be a free agent again. I love that idea. I mean, if I'm reading between the lines, what that means is they want to come in and come out together, um, yeah, which I really like. Yeah. I did. Do you get a similar feeling with Clay? Has he been dropping the same breadcrumbs? Um, Clay's a little more tricky because, yeah. you know, Clay has said that he wants – he wants max money. max money. 
And uh, let's be serious, he's not a max player. Um, I know I know from a nostalgia point of view, he's very important to this organization, this community, Northern California in general. Uh, I don't know how much monetary value you put on that. Um, but I think personally, this isn't a report, this is more an opinion. I think someone has to have a very uncomfortable conversation with Clay this summer. Um, just in terms of expectations, roles, and in, in, in what they want from him and expect from him. Uh, Steve Kirk kind of alluded to it today. He, he, he all but said Clay came in out of shape and wasn't really prepared for a season. Uh, whether that's fair or unfair, I know it's his first offseason after injury, and I know Clay has some reservations like playing pickup basketball because that's how he, that's how he popped, that, uh, popped that Achilles. And so you can understand why you might have some reservations. But Steve Kerr was kind of like, all right, it's, it's, been, it's been two years now. Uh, we need you in shape, and we need you to realize that doing the things that made you really good at 28 might not necessarily work anymore. You're, you're going to be 34. So, um, yeah, I think there might have to be some uncomfortable conversations with Clay because, you know, Clay is pretty headstrong. So it'll it'll be interesting with Clay. I'm not sure if I were to just to guess, of course, this is an opinion, not a report. I think they're going to let him play on a expiring contract oh, and, uh-huh. and just see let the market play itself out. Um, I mean, they essentially let it let Draymond do that. Obviously, yeah. Draymond still has a year left and has that option. But they were comfortable going into this year without getting something done. I think they're going to be comfortable going into next season without a new contract for Clay because if he wants max money, let him play for it. Let his play dictate what the market is, and then they can come together. Clay, here's your market. You know, we we stuck by you for two years while we were hurt. We gave you an extension while you were hurt. Uh, it might be time to, you know, kind of sacrifice a little for the team if you want to make this a fruitful future for you here. That's just my opinion and how I think things are going to go. Educated opinion, obviously, but that's 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 what I'm thinking with Clay. Yeah, you're not you're not leaking any news you heard from Lakeup or something. Um, no. I, I would agree. I'd agree with that exact same take. I mean, shit. Look at so of the two contract situations they handled last offseason, Draymond versus Jordan Poole. You know, like I don't, I don't know if they are real happy that they raced to give Jordan the money. And so if they've learned anything from that, let people play and then give value. Um, here's a random unnecessary personal story about me and Clay. So, Jay, you missed. I watched these games in fucking Disneyland. And yeah, so I, saw, I saw some of the tweets. I saw yeah, some of okay, the tweets. Okay, yeah, there you go. So, game six, they're losing. Second quarter, I'm watching on my phone in the line for Autopia, which, incidentally, I hate that ride. I hate that line. You wait in line to drive in traffic. I don't understand it. But I'm, right. I'm watching the I'm watching this thing and two you know you do that thing where you're walking by the same people in line and so two rows up there's a Laker fan who's also watching the game and I'm I'm back and we're watching and Clay shoots up for a three that would have reduced the lead from eight to five and he airballs it and it goes to Austin Reeves and was that the one right before the half exactly right because exactly I think right. it would have made it a four point game actually so I, I think okay you're right I've blacked it out because he goes up for it and I scream almost uncontrollably. Clay, and then he misses it, and the fucking Laker fan screamed Clay back at me, and it was this really traumatic thing, dude, and I got really upset by Clay. In fact, here, transition to the next question. This is uh, our golden questions, and this one reads, 
please drop postseason grades for everyone below. And the first person they want is Clay Thompson. So, boys, what do you think? What grade do you give Clay Thompson's postseason? A D. Ugh. Yeah. D. Marcus, you agree? Yeah. I mean, you said D is in David, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna go C minus just because I'm I'm partial to Clay, but out of respect. Yeah, exactly. Out of respect, but if, if we're being honest, I, I think D is is probably fair, and he would probably admit that too, which is you know fair. <clears throat> Maxime, do you agree? Oh, yeah. Especially, listen. I mean, I think we're you know we can grade it in a vacuum and just compared to all of the performances, but also just compared to Clay, that was a well below average Clay performance. And sure, he's coming off of multiple injuries, and I get like Kerr said, he didn't come into camp this year fully in shape. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons for the excuses than that, but actually I might call it a D minus or even worse, because the thing is, this is what I was saying earlier in the podcast before um, Jay, before you and MT joined is that I feel like clay was continuing to take some of the ill-advised shots that we saw him taking, you know, last year. And even in the regular season this year, it's stuff that I thought that he would tighten up on. Right. And under like, stop forcing it. He was just forcing it as if he still had something to prove. Clay, you got nothing left to prove. And in so doing, now you actually do have something to approve. So I, I, yeah, I think it was a D at best. What was weird about him, man, he kept taking confidence shots without confidence, you know, which is not something I'm familiar with him. Clay will always fire up a three-pointer, you know, eight seconds into a 24-second um, shot clock. And sometimes, you know, out of the flow of offense. But you could tell he always thinks it's going to go in. During that Lakers series, that wasn't true. I, I really, I don't think that I, he lost some of his confidence. Um, I agree with you guys, but I'm not going to say the word D because it'll hell bother me. The next one we have here is Pool. I'm going to save him. We're all frustrated with Pool. I'll just say it was an F, and then we'll pick that up going down the line. The third person is Kaminga. All right, and I we don't need his grade. It's an incomplete. Instead, I'm going to change the question. What I want to ask you boys is why didn't he play? And now Kerr came out and talked about it today. In fact, um, Maxime, if you've got that quote, go ahead and play it for us here. Do you think Jonathan Kaminga can be a, a heavy impact winning player uh, by next season, yeah, particularly in the playoffs? Do. You know, I think, um, of course, people are going to be focused on the playoffs because that's, you know, that's the most important time of the year. But if you look at, at Jonathan's uh, regular season, he did some great things. Um, I think the biggest thing for him is to continue to grow. And I tell him all the time, he's got 15 years ahead of him. He's got such a long career ahead. He's got a lot of ability. Um, and he's just in the process of learning the NBA game. And he's, he's two years in, and he's accumulated a lot of knowledge, but he's got a lot more to accumulate. And um, as long as he continues to work, uh, which I know he will, um, he's a great kid. Um, he wants to be great. Um, as long as he continues to, to um, just put his head down and work, he's going to get a lot better. Well, where do you think? So turns out I gave you the wrong quote, so that's good. The other quote that I remember him saying, they asked him why he didn't play. Um, and Kerr's response, I'm paraphrasing, is that with Wiggins and GP2, the main thing that Kamika could give them on ball defense wasn't necessary. So it was a basketball decision. Jay, I want your take on this. Um, so, again, you're not leaking anything, just an educated decision. But I've decided, I don't even know if it's like a, a conspiracy deal, but I took a bike ride with someone I really like over the weekend. We started talking this out. And I found myself saying, it couldn't just be hoop. 
It couldn't be that the, Kerr got frustrated. Something must have happened behind the scenes where they decided Kaminga is just not playing here. But Kerr has come out and said, nah, it's just basketball. So what's your feel, man? Why, why did Kaminga not play? Was it, was it just, you know, what Kerr said? It was just a, a basketball decision? Um, I don't know. It's hard. Like, I, I just don't think they see eye to eye. You know, um, there was messaging after last year that Steve didn't think that Jonathan Kaminga took seriously enough the things that Steve and the coaching staff wanted him to take seriously, whether it's just effort, hustle, little things on the court, rebounding, loose balls, cutting, et cetera. And I kind of thought it was fair after year one. Mm -hmm. Year two, uh, he came in and he was still on that short lease. He eventually broke through that short lease, got into the rotation. And when Andrew Wiggins was on his hiatus, he played really, really well. I thought Jonathan Kaminga deserved a little more rope than he got. He had that five-minute stretch in that Sacramento game, which was brutal, but <laughs> he didn't he didn't play again. He didn't play a meaningful minute after that. Not one meaningful minute. And I don't ever like to act like I know more than a NBA head coach <clears throat> because I don't. Yep. But that doesn't mean Steve Kerr is right all the time. I think Jonathan Kaminga should have played. Uh, at least should have got a, more of an opportunity in the playoffs. I think he could have helped the Warriors against the Lakers. I do. Um, Jeep, like even even that last game, like okay, he did what Wiggins. And GP2 kind of replace what he does. Let's even pretend that theory is correct. Although I think Kaminga brings more than just on-ball defense. Absolutely. Wiggins, Wiggins was playing with a broken ribs. He, he was clearly not himself. People are getting in foul trouble. You mean Kaminga can't go out there and at the very least play some defense? Like, you know, maybe he gets, breaks out for a fast break dunk and galvanizes the group, gives some energy, like, I just don't think the roster was perfect enough to the point where Steve was like, you can't help us at all. I, I just I just disagree with it. Um, Steve Kerr is a smarter basketball mind than I am. But like I said, that doesn't mean he's right on 100 percent of the on the things. I think Jonathan Kaminga should have played. I think they actually did him a little dirty. Dude, Wiggins and GP2 were on the team last year, and JK got minutes during the playoffs during a championship run. So do I believe that that's the only reason? No, that doesn't make any sense to me. And the fact that they didn't play him is one of the reasons I'm viewing this season as a failure. It's not just that they didn't win the title. And, you know, so what were their two stated goals? I would imagine win a title and develop the youth. Well, they lost in the second round, and they didn't develop shit. You know, they, they gave up Wiseman. They trade they... Uh, didn't develop Kaminga in any way, so it was crazy frustrating. Uh, let me change the question, but keep the player. And Marcus, I'm going to throw this one towards you. So here's the question, quote, It feels like there will be a lot of changing and expanding roles next year. We know Steph is the key, but what about the rest of the roster? On a scale of 1 to 10, how important are these players to next year's success? First one's Jonathan Kaminga. MT, what do you think, dude? How important is this guy to our future? I mean, I, I feel like my opinion and my answer is different than what Steve Kerr's is. And that's his opinion matters more to, to Jay's point. Like he's a Steve Kerr is a better and stronger basketball mind than, than I am. 
but I don't get it. I don't, he didn't, Jay, Kaminga played throughout the season and got meaningful minutes and played really well in Wiggins' absence, and Moody rode the bench for most of the season. And then when you get to the playoffs, when the games matter, it flips completely, and Moody gets all the playing time. It was just, I don't get it, but um, I think Kaminga has to have seven or eight level of importance in terms of um, playing next season. Um, otherwise, it's he's going to go down the path of, of James Wiseman, where – you know, we, he doesn't play, and and his lack of minutes is the biggest tell that they feel like they need to move on and get somebody who fits their system a little bit better. I think JK's importance to next year is 10 out of 10. Here's what I mean. Um, so I said earlier they're going to be back in the real world of the NBA. When they were in the height of the dynasty and they were adding pieces to the team, they were like buying lottery tickets that had already been scratched off. They knew they were winners. You know, you bring in KD, you don't need him to outplay your contract. You know exactly who the fuck he's going to be. Same with even Boogie Cousins. They got all these David West, all these known quantities that you knew exactly what it was going to be. And then, of course, they were raising them up. They were buying winning lottery tickets. This season, not going to be like that. They're going to be like every other team. They're going to have to find people who outplay their contracts. And you can't guarantee it. It's a, it's a lottery ticket, you know. At the forefront of that, JK, he's still on his rookie deal. He's getting about $6 million next year. If he can really produce, you know, if he can really get up and, and contribute, those are the kind of things that will bring us back to title contention. And so that's why I'm frustrated. A uh, friend of the podcast, Eric, who runs the Warriors Reddit account on Twitter, one of the things he threw out, and I, I you know, who knows how serious he was taking it, but he said, can you imagine who this guy would be if he was getting 30 minutes a night for the last two years? So, you know, like that's, that's not a reality on this team. He was never going to get that for his first two years. But it does underline that we haven't really figured out who he's going to be. And that development, I think, means everything next year. Um, Jason, same question, different player. Jordan Poole, how important is he to, uh, to the Warriors next year? He's important for a multitude of reasons. Before I get into it, I just wanted to add to what you said. Like, just about the, another thing Steve Kerr said about the young guys is like, Moses Moody would be a sophomore at Arkansas right now. And Jonathan Kamingo would be a sophomore at whatever college he chose to play at. If he went to college route and like people at that age, they don't, they don't play winning basketball in NBA playoffs game. But tonight we're going to watch Christian Brown on, on the nuggets, a 21 year old. He's been playing 14 minutes a game in the playoffs. He has a role. He's 21 year old. He was a freshman at Kansas last year. The nuggets are, I think the odds on favorite to win the title with the Boston. So, so like, it's, that's just an excuse. It, it, it's just an excuse. Uh, we've no one is saying Kaminga should be uh, playing 35 minutes a game and be on the floor in the closing minutes of playoff games. But to say that he can't help at all because he should be a sophomore in college is just objectively not true because we've seen we're, we're, we'll see somebody help the Nuggets tonight, who should be a sophomore in college. So we can just say that's objectively not true. Young guys can help playoff teams. Sure. But to, to Jordan Poole, um, I think he's important for a multitude of reasons. Mainly, of course, his play. I mean, he, he averaged, I think, you know, this is a what have you done for me lately type league, and he spunk it up in the playoffs. But he still averaged 20 points per game. I don't think he's on a terrible contract. If you just look at the metrics and people who are paid that much money, his numbers stack up with them. His numbers stacked up with Tyler Harrow's numbers this year. Simons, Maxi, they all stack up just from an objective point of view. He had a bad 
bad, bad postseason, but less than a year ago, he was a key member of a championship team. So we know that's his floor. He can do yep. that. But he is also important because you want to build Jordan Poole up if you are going to actually trade him. Sure. You can't, you can't shit on him. You can't drag him through the mud. They're going to have to continue to build his confidence because you can't. I think it would be dumb to get off, move off him now because his trade value is at an all-time low. Nothing. Yep. Build him up. Continue to give him boosts of confidence. Then maybe he starts playing better. And maybe, hey, you know, the fit with Clay and some of the vets, we don't love it. We don't kind of love the kind of energy amongst them. We'll, we'll, we'll move on from him at the trade deadline. But yep. you got to build him up to do that. So I think he is very, very important, not only because of his play, because contrary to what people will say on Twitter, he has a very tradable contract. His contract is not as bad as people think. So I think he's important because he could, at the very least, be a good player for them if they really, really want to lean into him. And he could be a good trade chip. Couldn't agree more. Right, let's start with the trading him now would be like trying to sell a car right after you've crashed it. You know, like that's like for what? Like get it fixed and show that it's still worth. Like you, you're going to get nothing. So no, that's not an option at all. How important do I think he is? I won't even answer you. I'm going to give an answer from somebody way more knowledgeable, Steph Curry. So this is from a Ringer article um, written by Logan Murdoch, and here's the quote: Following Game Five. So this I is I was in the locker room. I know exactly oh, what happened. Okay, there you go. So you you saw this play out. Um, essentially, somebody asks Steph, who's the the most important person to help uh, bridge the gap between the present and the future, and he fucking points at Jordan Poole and says he's the key. So if Curry not only thinks that, but thinks that after most of this postseason failure, you know that that wasn't before they started Sacramento. Jordan Poole had already fallen down somewhere between eight and nine billion times and made every mistake you can when he said that. And he still believed in him. So do I believe in him? Yes. Uh, and, and to piggyback even more on what Jay said, for those listening, for those taking to Twitter and shithousing this kid, stop. Stop. He is a confidence-based player. The chances of him not reading those things or not getting back to him are very little. If what you were hoping the, to happen is the Warriors getting back on top, you destroying this kid's foundation of confidence is not helping that, you know? So give him a little bit of space. Um, Marcus, different player, Clay Thompson. How important is he to the Warriors' success next year? Uh, just one cool comment. I won't tear him down because we need that confidence, but he's somehow got to work on not being worse at defense every year. <laughs> somehow he's getting worse at defense, you know, as the season goes on. I don't know how you do that, but somebody, Ron Adams, somebody just needs to kidnap him and, and hold him in a defensive clinic for the all of the offseason. But um, stop getting physically weaker. I'm not sure how that's happening, but it's like, he's like he's losing strength as his career goes on. So maybe we can stop that too. And suction cups on the bottom of his shoes. But other than that, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Clay Thompson, uh, you know, 10 out of 10. I think he he knows he had a terrible postseason, but aside from that, during the regular season, best statistical season of his career, most three pointers in the NBA. Um, you know, he started to get a little bit closer to his pre-injury defense. Um, so he just had a, a terrible time to you know to have a streak of of not shooting the ball well. So, um, but I still think 
the entire dynasty and the success of the Warriors hinges on Steph, Clay, and Dre playing together and getting some rest and coming back and having a strength in numbers in the bench behind them to to help them make it through the regular season. As somebody who spent most of his youth playing basketball by shooting jump shots and then went to Chase Center and shot a series of air balls because he was deep in his head, I can understand how yeah, there might be some excuses for Clay Thompson. Um, I got a judgment theater here that I'm really anxious to do with you guys. But first, I want to ask you this. Jay, to you, if you could pick one thing the Warriors do right this offseason, anything, build pools confidence, sign Clay to a lesser deal, re-sign Myers, bring in player X, anything, you know, it's up to you what they do successfully. What is that thing? Have a successful, difficult conversation with Clay where his expectations are on par with reality. And um, he loses a bit of his ego. I, I think a Clay with a little more, a little less of an ego makes the team better. Completely agree. Uh, it's Dre and Clay's contracts. I mean, it, it's, you know, that unlocks every, all the money that you'd get back there with the new CBA. That's what we need. Um, so I'm with that. Different answers, boys? Maxime, MT, you got one thing? I saw an article. Um, Jay, I'd be interested to see what you think about this. I sent it to Bram and, and Maxime earlier, but saw an article from the Nets wire that said the Nets should consider trading Mikel Bridges and Patty Mills for Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga and a couple in the Warriors first round draft picks. Um, you know, that's mortgaging the future, obviously. Mikel Bridges is younger. Patty Mills is not. Um, but, you know, that's JP and JK kind of out the door, but it brings in a legitimate defensive player of the year, three and D wing and somebody who, you know, can guard the Paul Georges, Kawhi Leonard's, and, you know, the taller wings on the league and take that pressure off of Clay um, and Wiggins a little bit. So um, do you do that? I, I was intrigued by it. I, I don't know if I pull the trigger, but if I had to say something different for the offseason, that may be my answer of do you get ahead of it? Like we didn't get ahead of the James Wiseman deal when we were saying trade him, trade him. Everybody's like, no, let's keep him. Do we get ahead of the fact that Kaminga isn't playing and package him up with, with pool and bring somebody in like Mikel Bridges. Absolutely. I would do that. I would, I would help drive people to the airport. Mikel Bridges. I'm a huge fan of them. Uh, do you see what he did since the trade since sort of Brooklyn? Like he's a, he's really good. He's a three-way player too. That guy does everything for you. Intangibles, offense, defense. He can stretch the floor while guarding the best player. The defensive versatility you would have with Macau, Andrew, and GP2 would be phenomenal. And he's not one of these defensive guys where it's like he can't shoot and it's hard to, like, pair him with people. He can shoot the ball. Um, I would absolutely do that because I think he's better than both Poole and, obviously, Kaminga. Um, yeah, I, I would do that, um, especially with Kerr as Kaminga's coach. I'm not sure we'll ever see the best of Kaminga here in Golden State because I just – there has to be some sort of disconnect between Steve Kerr and Jonathan Kaminga, in my opinion. Even if, if there's not a disconnect, it's just Steve Kerr is hell-bent on 
not letting young kids help. So, yeah, Mikhail Bridges. Steve loves Jay Wright, guys. Um, loves them. So, yeah, Mikhail Bridges from a culture standpoint, too, he seamless. Seamless. I don't think the Nets would trade him, though. I think he the Nets view him as, like, one of their future pieces. I think yeah. so, too. And we're, we're going to do a full trade podcast maybe in about a week. But what I love about that, Jay, I love the scenario just playing it out of my head. You know, whatever it is, Jordan Poole gets a text or he reads a tweet and he finds out that he's traded. And he's dealing with that and what that means. And then he looks out his window. He's like, is that Jason Dumas at my fucking door? And you're like, oh, time to go to the airport, dude. Like, yeah, thanks for your help. Um, we're in Southwest, you said? Because you're out of here. Which, perfect transition, boys. Judgment Theater, okay? This comes from my life. So as I told you guys, I went to LA, um, took Southwest, crazy small, you know, flights is what it is. And the first thing the guy in front of me does immediately is slam his seat back. So now he's fucking on top of me. But his wife, who's sitting right next to him and in front of my wife, before putting her seat back, looks back in a move I've never seen and asks my wife, is it okay to put the seat back? And I've, I've taken a million flights. I've never seen anybody be that considerate in any way. So the judgment theater is you guys find yourself on an airplane. How do you handle putting your, your seat back? Do you do it immediately? Have you ever asked anybody? And don't tell us. We're going to guess. You can start with me. So I get on that fucking plane. It's nice and full. There's definitely three people behind me. What do I do? Do I ask permission? Do I sit erect? What's the move? Uh, you go right back. Yeah. Plus one on that. I think you just go back. You you don't slam it back, but you just slowly go back. Like this is happening, and you're gonna have to deal with it. Clean sweep, Maxine. Yeah, it's really it's really unfortunate that this is like a domino effect, you know. And like, cause cause it's different than if like somebody's coming back at you, and you're like, oh, my only retribution is to then go back myself, right? And it's it's one of these dynamics where like maybe he's the type of person that just believes that you should not be doing that, right? Or like. Like, uh, so my buddy flew here to visit me last weekend and he flew first class, except he got the last row of first class. It was the first time he'd ever upgraded himself to first class. The last row, you're stuck behind, in front of the toilets and so you can't move back at all, right? And that's like where the buck stops, you know? So I can see a situation where you're so frustrated. But anyways, yeah, I think you push right back. I just wanted to give some expository remarks there. You guys clearly don't realize what kind of a pleaser I am. I'll give you an example. I love Jay. We've gotten to know him. I consider him a friend now. Since he's joined this podcast, I've been sweating like a maniac because I'm worried that he's not having a good time. Like, that's yeah. who I am. Do I put my seat back? Hell no. I spend the whole time hell of uncomfortable, like worried that I might be bothering them if I move it back. If it's like an international flight, sure. If I'm going to L.A., I stay uncomfortable. Well, wait, uh, hold on a minute, because see, this makes sense. You guys are face to face right now, right? And there's like a need. You walk right. This is like a friend, right? We want to. This is somebody we care. This is the Warriors. This is a random dude. You don't ever have to look at this person, literally, right? Not even when the plane gets off. You could just look straight forward. I don't know. It's like the petty <laughs> shit. That's when you get into it. You're saying that like I'm following a logic flowchart. My logic flowchart is Bram. Are you crazy? And the answer is yes. And then I go to keeping my seat up, dude. Like it just. <laughs> It just is what it is. Let's go to Marcus. Here's my guess on him. Marcus does move it back, but when he gets up to go to the bathroom or whatever it is, he gives him a little, like a little reassuring eye contact. Like, I know you're back there. We're good. Like he smooths it over without saying anything, takes over their space, but then makes them feel okay by, by some kind of personal interaction. Jay, what do you think? Uh, I think he... I don't think he, I think he makes sure 
that they're good or he looks and he sees the context before he goes back. And I'm not saying he won't go back, but he'll, he'll take a look back and see, ah, they don't have much space and then decide not. If it's like Dikembe Mutombo behind him, he won't do it, you know, but right. yeah, like that kind of thing. Uh, let's cut to it. Cause we're running late. MT what's the answer. I think we might have lost him, but listen, look at that. Look at the <laughs> facial expression that he's stuck right. on, right? That's yeah, it right there. That says the whole thing. Like, yeah, right. I do whatever I want. <laughs> we'll never know for Marcus, unfortunately enough. Maybe he'll rejoin us. My guess for Maxime is you're like me. You stay erect. Although now that you've given us that, I don't give a shit about the anonymous person behind me. We now know the truth. But my guess would have been that you were a little bit more of a pleaser. Before we lose everybody so we can turn to Jay, just give us the truth, Maxime, and then we're going to guess on Jason. I, yeah, the, the word erect is not something that I'm trying to bring into this conversation in general. Um, and so to that point, I, I listen, this is the rules of the airplane alliance. Like, you're allowed to put your seat back, right? If if that's not a thing that you're allowed to do, then don't let me press the button and put my seat back. Like, this is this is just normal human behavior. I'm sorry. It's just what it is. Of course, I, I put mean, my seat back. Some of those seats still have uh, ash like trays on them, you know, like just the fact that it's there doesn't mean necessarily that you should be using it. Oh, really? That thing might be kind of an outdated move, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it seems a little aggressive, which goes to Jay. And I mean this in the most complimentary fucking move possible. Jay, I think you push your shit back while it's taxiing. I think you come in there and you're like, bow. Like, this is what it's going to be. I'm very confident in this. If you don't like it, is what it is. We're going to be fine. And I, I think you're totally good with it as you fly away uh maxine what's your guess yeah <laughs> well no because i feel like jay also is aware that, right you don't want to get into a situation where the like the the stewards of the plane are coming by and saying sir i need you to put your seat back up during taxi takeoff and landing you know it's this whole thing right so you don't want to get into that situation but i do think once you're airborne it's just a casual move in the seat yeah, what's the answer my, jay? that that seat's coming back is I'm afforded that option, so I'm going to take it. Between me flying early in the morning or me being hungover, that's the majority of the time I'm flying anyway. So I, I need to lean back. <laughs> Phenomenal answer, Jason. I love every time you join us. The, I mean, just your takes, your savvy, all of that. Also, that you class it up, dude. Like, if there's a better instance of the differences in the ways we're covering this team, I'm over here in a ratty ass like undershirt. You're there, suited up, looking phenomenal. Uh, for people who need way more Jason Dumanis in their life, where do they go? Uh, you can just catch me on Cron Four every night, six, eight, nine, and ten. Channel Four in the Bay Area. We're in every Bay Area county. We're covered, and you can find me online at at J Dumas Reports on Instagram and Twitter. Boom. Um, for us, we're on social media. You can find us at Where's Huddle on Twitter. We're also on YouTube. Same <coughs> handle. You want to shoot us an email? Let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. You can shoot that too. Huddle at WarriorsHuddle.com. And the thing I really want to underline, we've got a website, warriorshuddle.com, and on there we've got words. In fact, we've got a brand new article up there by our boy Matt. It's detailing what comes next from the Warriors. I just suggest you check it out. With that in mind, go Warriors! Hopefully, we'll see you real soon.
Good, good.